Hope is the thing with feathers. Hope is the thing with feathers. That's like a bird. Like a bird. That perches in the soul. That perches in the soul. Welcome to the Thing with Feathers podcast, a podcast about birds and hope. I'm your host, birding enthusiast, Courtney Ellis. Welcome back to the Thing with Feathers podcast. I'm your host, Courtney Ellis. So excited to have with us today, Jody Collins. Jody comes to us from Renton, Washington in the Pacific Northwest. She is the author of three books, a poet and a retired teacher. But perhaps most importantly for our purposes, she loves the birds. Welcome, Jody. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, I do indeed love birds and I love words. So thanks for having me. <laughs> There's a good yeah. syn- synergy there, isn't there? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Well, Jody, tell us a little bit more about you, who you are, what you do, what lights you up in the morning. Oh, gosh. Um, well, yes, as you mentioned, I'm a retired teacher. Uh, my husband and I have been retired since, I don't know, like 2016, but I taught for quite a while. I started writing a long time ago. I lived in California for many years, as you know, and had a chance to write for um, newspapers and things like that when people read newspapers. Um, Didn't find writing online until I want to say 2012. I had no idea what it was. So that has been a wonderful, wonderful place for me to um, write about the intersection of faith and life in general. I am inspired always by where I live, but also my family. I have uh, two adult children and six grandchildren, so they are a delight. I don't get to see them um, often enough, but yeah, they add a lot to my life as well. So, And we live in, as you said, Renton, which is 35 minutes from Seattle and basically paradise, I think. So, (laughs) yeah. It's great to love where you live. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when we get into the winter months, as we are, what birds do you see up in Washington? I know what we see down here. I bet we have some crossover, but I bet you have some differences. Um, in particular, you know, I don't know that they change that much. I hmm. just see them better. Yeah. I, I mean, if that makes any sense. Yeah. The towhees are on the ground a lot. Do you know what towhees are? Do you see mm-hmm. those? We've got those down here too. Yes, they're on the ground a lot. Of course, below my feet is where all the food um, falls. But I don't see anything different. I just see them better. Does that yeah. Mean? Because you, there's no I, leaves have, on the trees. So. You have a fairly stable climate that doesn't change all that much from summer to winter. Well, that is perhaps that's a misconception. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we get some pretty warm summers, definitely. Uh, yeah, I mean, it can be, you know, it can be in the 80s for like four days in a row. Gee whiz. Um, yeah, and very, very cold um, hmm. in the winter, which is surprising to me. I still see hummingbirds in the winter because we put feeders out, um, hmm. which some birders tell you not to do. Um, it is an area of controversy, for sure. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. So I have feeders, if it helps. Which side I'm on of that issue. I have a few feeders. We also have some native plants, but we also have some feeders. Right. Well, we've got, we've got four bird feeders up on our deck. It's well, we know what side of the issue you fall down on. Right. We're kind of crazy. (laughs) Well, well, Jody, how did you get started in birding? What inspired you to begin? 
You know, that's so interesting. As I said, we lived in California. I was born and raised down in Southern California and then moved to Central California when I got married. But I don't think I had enough time to pay attention to the birds. I'm sure they were around. So when we moved here uh, about 30 years ago, because of the location of our house, we are very, very blessed. We're on the edge of a green belt with a fabulous view and trees everywhere, of course. It is, yes, evergreen state. And I I don't know. I think my sister-in-law mentioned something to me. She had a the big Sibley bird poster. Yay. Oh, my gosh. It's such an awesome poster. So she kind of got me into it. And then uh, we bought the poster. Then we bought binoculars. Then we started buying books. And yeah, we've been paying attention ever since. And yes, that's so probably because of where I live and the Mm. time. So I love your word of we've been paying attention ever since. I think that really encapsulates so much of birding and also so much of writing. It's about learning to see, learning to listen, learning to notice, and then learning to share what you've what you've noticed. Absolutely. Yes. Oh, yeah. My granddaughter, um, my oldest granddaughter, when they come visit, she knows to get Nana's bird book and binoculars and go sit outside on the deck. And she wraps herself in a blanket. She's been doing this since she was seven years old. She's 16 now. And she makes her lists. So I'm saving her lists. So I thought, oh, yay, of all the grandchildren, I've got at least one that's paying attention. <laughs> that's beautiful. If you can get one, that's the gateway, right? Because sometimes right. their enthusiasm will will rub off on the others. And Yes, yes. Well, tell us a little bit about your faith background. I, I sent out this little intro questionnaire, and you mentioned how your faith background has impacted your birding. Yeah. Again, I think it's paying attention. You know, uh, it's it's interesting to me when you pay attention to the birds. Jesus talked about the birds, and I feel like over and over and over again, I'm learning lessons um, from the birds don't worry about anything, Um, God will provide, which, I mean, that sounds so trite, but I think there's a reason that Jesus used creation so much to teach his lessons. So I think it's the lens that I see everything through, creation and what God has made, because there's so much to teach us. That's probably way too abstract. I don't know. Um, Yeah, I I, I think it's I think it's clearly obvious that God speaks through his creation and his faithfulness and through through the birds. They just show up. They just show up and they expect you to um, they expect there to be bird seed or when the hummingbird lands on my fuchsia, they expect the nectar to be there. And it's just a constant reminder that mm. you can get up every day and the, the reminders are there that God is faithful. So, mm. yeah. And you shared that you're attending a, a Foursquare church. Tell us about that. What's Foursquare? What is Foursquare? I'm a Presbyterian. So oh, my. Okay. Foursquare is a playground game, right? You play with a, <laughs> exactly. You play with a ball. Well, my husband and I, um, as I said, we're born, in Cal- uh, born and raised in California. So I got saved during the Jesus Revolution hmm. and went to Calvary Chapel. You know, I just found Jesus basically. So when we got married and came to Central California, I didn't know what Foursquare was. It was the first church we went to. They were nice and we've stayed there forever. Then we moved to Seattle and my brother 
was a Foursquare pastor. Foursquare was started by Amy Semple McPherson, I believe, in 1920-ish. Female, obviously, uh, kind of exuberant woman. She And the four squares based on the four squares of the gospel, Jesus as savior, healer, baptizer, and soon coming king. So hmm. that's the four squares of the gospel. Hmm. And so it's a newish denomination, as I have discovered. I mean, I've lived on the West Coast my whole life. So if I go back East, everybody's Presbyterian like you. <laughs> or Episcopalian. <laughs> or Episcopalian. That's kind of what we got going on. Or right. Catholic. So um, one of the books I wrote, Living the Season Well, Reclaiming Christmas is about the intersection of the beautiful, beautiful liturgies in the more traditional denominations, which I knew nothing about being raised in a very, I mean, I don't know, what do you say? A charismatic Protestant kind of denomination where many of those practices were suspect for some reason because they were rituals of some sort, but they since I started uh, meeting people online and discovering these other beautiful practices around the church year, I'm like, what a wonderful way to slow things down and change the lens that you look at um, Christianity through. So I kind don't tell anyone, but I kind of wish I was Anglican, you know? <laughs> um, yes. So anyway, I hope that answers your question. I've gone everywhere in the world for that. No, that's, like that. that's fascinating. And yeah. I, I think it's true for many of us who who consider ourselves Christians is that we would love to take pieces of so many different traditions. You know, I would love to pray with the passion of a Pentecostal. And I love the liturgy of the Anglicans and the Episcopals. And I love that the Presbyterians think so much about the life of the mind. And it's it's such a reminder that we're stronger together rather than fighting over these little differences to remember there's something to learn in the Quaker yes. tradition and in the Methodist tradition and in the Catholic tradition. Um, and that's one of the things we try to, we try to talk to our people a lot about at our church. We, from the pulpit, we'll pray for all the churches in the area. And sometimes people wow. are shocked. Like that's our competition. I'm like, absolutely not. Absolutely not. That's not how it works. Yeah. Okay. Same, same team. Same, same team. team. There you go. <laughs> yes. Team Jesus. Right. <laughs> Well, Jody, so much of birding and writing can take us into these deep places. And I sense these deep places in your poems. Okay. Tell us about your, your book of poetry and tell us about what inspired it. Oh, goodness. Well, are we talking about Mining the Bright Birds, the new one? Yes, ma'am. Oh, okay. Well, I came to poetry very late. As I said, I've been writing a long time. And when I started writing online... I wrote about the intersection of faith and life, which is the world's broadest topic. But as I have gotten older and found out what I really, really love, I love language and I love paying attention to words. So I started following people who wrote in the form of poetry and reading their work. And then as I sat down on my deck to write, as I do many, many times, I just take out my journal I began to notice the world around me and things like that, and things turned into poems. So, I, yes, I, I've learned a lot about how to write poetry, but it, for me, it's become the best way of expressing things. I like the fact that you have to be very succinct and pay attention. 
So you have, as again, you have to pay attention to words. And as I paid attention to birds, I actually put this book together during the late end of the pandemic, like 2021-ish. Kind of like, okay, what else can I do? I've got all these poems sitting around. I'll see if I can put them together in a manuscript. And it's lovely when you send your work to other people because you're a writer. When you send your work to an editor and they say, oh, I see this theme. I see kind of what you're getting at. And you don't even realize that that's what is welling up in your work. So the subtitle of this book is Poems of Longing for Home. And I seem to have this pattern. And in my first book, Hearts on Pilgrimage, again, walking through the seasons as a way to find out where you're going. I probably not explaining that right, but God, Ecclesiastes says we, God has set eternity in our hearts, right? And I think that finding your way home to heaven is really getting closer to God and finding out who you are as a person. So for me, I turned 70 last year and I'm still trying to figure, figure getting better at figuring out who that person is and what God has made me to do. So the traveling that I did through the sections of this, uh, this particular volume, Mining the Bright Birds, was finally coming to, oh, I think I'm a poet. <laughs> so the, the, the sections in the book are waiting spaces, tuning seasons, and wayfinding, which correspond with uncertainty then listening, then patterns and cycles, and finally place and home. And we're all, you know, if you are a Christian, you're thinking about going home and being with God, but I think home is where you are as a person as well, and finding out, you know, what your purpose is and why you're here and who you are. So I've decided Mm. I'm a poet. (laughs) (laughs) It's interesting how you might do something for years, but resist that label, right? Kind of that imposter syndrome. The Back in college, I, I was training for a marathon and I ran a marathon. And I remember going to a college, like a campus fair with my roommate, Kelsey. And we went to this table that was giving out like running swag. And the person behind the table was like, oh, are you a runner? And I was like, well, no, not really. My roommate was like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> but I just, to consider yourself and claim the label of a runner, of a birder, of a poet. I talk to folks all the time who say, well, I love birds, but I'm not really a birder. And I'm like, the bar is on the ground. Do you look out the window and enjoy a cardinal? You're a birder. Congratulations. You can wear the label. Um, Did it change things for you to be able to accept? I haven't run anything in in 10 years, by the way, before anyone's impressed with my my running ability. Um, Did it change anything for you to kind of accept and internalize that, that word for yourself, that name for yourself? Well, yes. So I'm I'm going to segue back to just this whole writing thing, writing online. I took a course this summer about leaving social media and just focusing on my website and Substack. But it, the process of it forced me to decide what is my core message? What is my purpose with this platform? And I decided I wanted to offer people encouragement and practices to connect with God through poetry. Mm. It took me a long time to distill that message, but because I have always resisted some kind of 
Um, I, I hate limitations. I like a lot of freedom. But it's been fabulous because when I decided that that's really what I was passionate about sharing, it's really opened up a lot of things for me. So deciding that that's what I want to write and how I want to bring joy to others and invite them to try as well has been very freeing. And um, yeah, not, not limiting in any way, or which has helped me a lot to say, what do I want to write about? It's been a great funnel to decide that's the focus. Poetry is not for everyone. I understand that. It's a niche um, kind of subject, but I want to help people make friends with poetry, hmm. kind of tiptoe in and try. So hmm. that's been helpful for me to decide that's the funnel or the lens that I kind of want to focus on. So um, hmm. it's helped a great deal, yeah, to decide that, oh, I am a poet. So <laughs> That's beautiful. You are. Yes. You are. Speaking as one who enjoys your poems very much, you are Thank a poet. You. you are a poet. Um, what inspires your poems? You talked a little bit about kind of these themes and things. Do you get ideas in the shower? Is it out when you're out for a walk? When do these bits of inspiration hit you? Oh, goodness. Well, all the things, you know, for me, I'm, I think in pictures, I've always been a metaphor kind of person. So if I have a particular feeling, I might see an image that can like kind of hold the emotion that I'm sensing for that particular day. Um, change. I was taking a walk the other day. There's been a situation going on for a very long time in, um, you know, our extended family that I'm just despairing about. And I look at the trees and they're slowly changing and God says things take, you know, things don't change overnight. It takes them a long time to change. So I see things as physical images to kind of hold the emotion or a thought. Sometimes it's just a word. I think about the word sound and I'm like, oh my gosh, sound can carry water. Sound um, are very, things are very sound. I don't know. I, I think abstractly as well. So sometimes it's an image, a physical thing that will inspire me. Sometimes it's a word. Sometimes it's another poem. I'm a great fan of Malcolm Guide, who is, you know, on Twitter and just it's been, that's how I met you. Abigail Carroll, also another poet. I read their uh, work a lot and I'm inspired by other poets. Po Malcolm Guide has always said poems should be generous and generative, mm. you know, they should offer you something, but you can also use them as a jumping off point to write your own. Lucy Shaw, another poet that I love, love, love. She's here in Washington as well. Great inspiration for me. So other poets and other people's work are also points of inspiration for writing. So, mm. yeah. I love that you read poetry to get those sparks of ideas for poetry. I find, so I write nonfiction and I get my sparks from reading poetry and reading fiction because it's such a different field that there's no internal competition. I feel like I can just soak in it. And um, it's interesting how every writer has kind of their own different process. Um, but poetry, poetry is, it makes the world go round. It really does. And, and I think especially for people who are very driven, people who have a lot going on, it can be hard to pause in a poem in much the same way as it can be hard to pause underneath a tree with your binoculars and sit and wait for that warbler to show itself. But both because they take that little pause in our life have, have such a profound impact when we choose to give ourselves to them. Um, Amen. So on that note, I would love for you to share one of your poems with us. Well, Tell us a little bit about where it came from. Okay. Well, I, I think I will read the um, poem that, 
the, the book is called Mining the Bright Birds. I will read that particular poem. This is in the section called Tuning, Tuning Myself to Listen. So I was sitting outside on my deck in the winter time, and it does get very, very chilly here, and it was very, very gray and cold. But as I said, the hummingbirds still show up. And I have a lilac tree way on the edge of my yard. And hummingbirds, I don't know if you know, they like to be way up high so they can survey everything and see what they can go find. And I thought about this particular image as I wrote this poem. So this is called Mining the Bright Birds. I strain towards the future, eyes focused on the far away, past empty, quiet gray, looking for a hummingbird in the snow. Squint at fine twig lines, sliced across white, over emerald in front of dormant sienna. I spy her there, gemstone stately in her royal stance among the branches. The view slows me to the present. It is no effort, truly, to plow my way through buried days, if I but gentle my busy self, settle and sit, sip and settle, welcome the daytime darkness, mining the bright birds. Mm. I feel like I'm in your yard. Oh, gosh, thank you. It's a beautiful well, spot. Yes, yes, yes. Um, the, the last line, mining the bright birds, came to me because I thought about uh, coal miners mm -hmm. when they're looking for gold or copper or whatever, they're in the dark. All they have is like a little candle on their head. Um, and they're looking for this little teeny tiny spark, you know, something that might glimmer a little bit. So that's why I put that line in there, mining the bright birds. But I do love the winter here mm. because you can see these colors. Mm -hmm. and you can see the birds so much better. Yeah, people, I think folks who are just getting into birding have this wonderful discovery that actually autumn and winter, the birds aren't singing as much, but you can find them more easily because they're not camouflaged. They're not hidden by a thousand leaves. This is true. Yes, yes, yes. You can find them by ear more easily in the spring, but you can't always see them. <laughs> yes, yes. So true. So true. Well, Jody, where are you finding hope these days? As you said, you, you just turned 70 and you have kids and grandkids and you've lived through a pandemic and sometimes the world seems like it's all on fire. Where, where are you finding hope? Goodness. Well, d two places, again, just in God's faithfulness and creation. And it's, you know, we are in the middle of uh, something that's tearing our hearts apart watching what's going on in the Middle East. And I can despair when I look at the news and then I have to just... You know, the colors just changed here about two weeks ago. And I think it's remarkable to me that regardless of what's going on during the pandemic, even the trees were still blooming, the flowers were still blooming, the birds were still there. And it's just a reminder of God's faithfulness, that the cycles will continue, that, that he is a firm foundation to trust in. And so that reminder just always gives me hope. And then I, as I said, I will have six grandchildren. The oldest one is 20. The youngest one is four. So goodness, if she doesn't give me hope because I get little video messages, you know, and she's chattering away and she wants to come to Nana's house and dig in the toy box and see what there is to play with. It just, the joy of small children, your children are young. I, just the joy of, they're just discovering the world. 
there is still so much to show them. And yes, so that definitely gives me hope is the joy of you know pouring into her life. You know, you want to just keep going. And um, yes, yay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yay for small children. <laughs> That's one of the things I appreciate so much as a parent of young kids, because I'm often too close to it to see the joy. I see, you know, the relentlessness of it. And I see the fact that, okay, we're going to cook again and we're going to clean up again and we're going to wipe everything down again. But we have these folks in our lives, you know, grandparents and folks who are like grandparents to our kids that, you know, when they spend an hour with our kids, witnessing their joy reminds me, oh, this is special and it's fleeting. It feels eternal some days, you know, when we haven't slept well and Daryl and I are dragging ourselves to the church office and packing all the lunches and doing all the things, it can feel endless, but it's such a reminder that no, no, this, this is, this is beautiful. And we can't, you know, we can't soak in every minute of it. I don't want to remember the tantrum that happened in Target. We're just going to let that go. Um, But so, so much of it is is a gift. And I really appreciate folks in your generation reminding me of that often by taking my kids for an hour. So I can get that, I can get that project done or I can get that nap. <laughs> and, and and we can see them with new eyes, which is again, the way you look at birds, right? With new eyes. I yes. Guess, paying attention. So I used to get so frustrated that birds change their plumage from spring to fall and they're different when they're juvenile. And now I realize, no, 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 this is an opportunity to learn how to see this sparrow in many different ways, to learn how to see this gull in many different ways. Um, I guess sparrows kind of stay the same year round, but the warblers, man, the warblers change their whole outfits. We we don't have any warblers at all. I mean, we have uh, grosbeaks here, several uh, different kinds of grosbeaks, but I don't have a warbler. They so. won't sit in your yard. You got to go hunt for them. I do. Okay. Well, I'll, <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll have to get my binoculars out and go to a park or something. They, they tend to they sit in the very highest branches. So birders always complain of warbler neck, that if you go hunt oh, for them oh by the gosh. end of the day, by the end of the day, you need a chiropractor. Okay. Worth it though. Worth it. Oh, gosh. Well, speaking of which, um, this is the hardest question I ask any of my yes, guests. Ma'am. So I hope you're prepared. What is your favorite bird, Jody? <sighs> yes. You made me answer this question several months ago. And I think... I guess just because they're so rare, it would be an evening grosbeak because the colors Mm. are so, there are three different grosbeaks that show up in my theaters, but I want to say an evening grosbeak just because they're so rare. Mm. You know, my husband and I will go grab the binoculars, go look, 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 you know, and then of course they know you're looking at them and then they fly away. Yeah. Yes. So yeah, I would say, uh, yeah, the evening grosbeaks. The treasure hunt. Yes. Yeah. The treasure hunt. Yeah. I love a gross beak. There's something about their profile that's very dignified. They they just look very stately. Oh, you, that's an excellent, yeah, an excellent word. And I love watching the dynamics that go on in the bird feeder because they don't share easily. The the um <laughs> the who has to the juncos have to stay up on the top, and then the finches, the house finches have to stay at the edge of my deck, and then they have to wait till the towhee leaves, and then they can come, you know. He's like, yeah, they're kind of bullies. <laughs> yeah, birds birds don't always share well when, when the kids are watching our feeders and commenting on that. I'm like, that's a lesson we're not gonna take from the birds. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna Learn try to share to better than the birds. But it's their survival, you know, it's different than sharing a toy. It's different than sharing a bicycle. We're in constant bicycle wars at our house right now because all the kids want to ride the older kids' bike. And we're like, everyone has your own bike. Oh gosh. We, sh- we want to share better than the birds. 
gosh. Well, Jody, will you bless us with another poem or oh, two? True. Your um, choice. A poem or two. Um, let me see. This is, oh, okay. My husband is also nuts about birds and he has a soft spot for the crows, which as I've gotten to listen to your podcast occasionally and pay attention, crows are very, very smart. Mm-hmm. I did not realize how smart they were. So he likes to run out and stand at the bottom landing of our deck. It's a two story, we have a two story house and toss bread to them. So one morning I was watching the crows and this, this poem came about. This poem is called Lawn Party. Ebony crows strut in silken hats and grays, cackling conversations about early dew-covered offerings, seed-wise, feed-wise. A heated discussion grows regarding the merits of stale bread, like so much fireside chatting complete with brandy and cigars. They gather and gaggle, regale each other with a story of early flight plans and feather nesting ahead. Then they're off with an avian cheerio, and I gather crumbs for their next visit come dawn. I love it. I I feel like I grow each year in my appreciation of crows because they're just the birds that are always there and they don't have all these beautiful colors and they're so easy to take for granted. But the more you look, as you mentioned in that poem, and you kind of see their strut and you see their attitude and you see the way they behave, the more interesting they become. Yeah. Yeah. There's, well, we had two, of course we named them Mo and Joe. And then a third one started showing up. So they were like, the third one was like the search party guy. So when they would see my husband come out to toss bread, one of them would be up in the tree (laughs) and it's like, they would call to each other. You know, Bill comes back in the house. Okay. The coast is clear. You guys, you can all land on the lawn. So they definitely have behavior where they, they communicate with each other and they're paying attention and they're, yeah, they're very, very, very smart. It's, It's been very fun to watch. We have a, a family of crows in our neighborhood, and they pulled a, a baby bottle out of the neighbor's trash can a couple weeks back. And you could tell they they just you know they they weren't particularly hungry. They were looking for something to do, and they would just kind of circle up around it and investigate it, and they'd take turns. And but the one who pulled it out of the trash kind of owned it, you know. So he would let the other one see it, but it was it was his baby oh, bottle. I, I had to go to work, and I couldn't stay for the full show. But it's just that, fascinating. That is fascinating. Oh my gosh, yes, they must have wondered what in the world it was. Right? This doesn't taste like bread. It doesn't taste like bread or crackers, right? Right? Um, I, I was... I'm oh, sorry. go ahead. Well, I have one more. Yes, I was going to ask. Oh, thank you, thank you. Um, this one is a rhyming poem. Most of my poems are in verse. This one was just fun to pay attention to as I tried to write in rhyme. Um, it's called Accompaniment. Birds, their tones, both winged and bright, harmonize from branches out of sight, know their parts, score memorized, flash and zoom before my eyes. Soprano, alto, second bass, throaty praises from branchy place, echo, float, reverberate, a pause, then celebrate. Mornings rise, first slow and quiet, against dull silence, now a riot. Each song reveals they know their place background my day this hallowed space that sounds almost like it could be a hymn like I could hear that sung 
the rhyme and the meter of it. Wow. That would be fun. Yeah, that would be so fun. That's your next project. Yes, I Mining the bright birds to music. Right, right, exactly. (laughs) I'm on the worship team at our church. I'll have to throw that at our worship leader. (laughs) Yeah. You know, we we talk all the time at our church about how to help our people learn. And often that is scripture and, you know, that is spiritual practices, but also it's like, hey, go outside, take a walk. What do you see? What is God teaching you? Because we forget the whole book of nature, which is something given to us, I believe, by by the creator to, you know, to teach us, to instruct us, to lift our souls, to help us care for it. Yes, we, we forget yes. that, that yeah. whole book. Yeah, I have a poem in here called um, Lexio Divina reading the world, basically, mm-hmm. yeah. looking at the world. And to, t- to talk about another favorite poet of mine, um, Malcolm Guide again, I'm reading his book called Lifting the Veil, Imagination in the Kingdom of God. And when, when you say the word imagination to people, especially Christians, they are rather suspect many, many times. And he, he rightly puts it where it belongs in an imagining where we can make a bridge between heaven and earth. And he, he cites, uh, um, you know, some lines from Shakespeare, but I'm just more and more and more trying to tell people that writing poetry is a way to worship God. Painting is a way to worship God. Look at the people that made the tabernacle. Look at all the gifts they had. But imagination and story all those things are bridges between heaven and earth. If you begin to look for the parallels, I mean, don't tell anyone. I'm I'm reading Harry Potter for the very first time. I have never read it. When I first became a Christian, it was, goodness, very, very suspect, you know, just all these witches and things. I cannot believe the parallels I'm finding in this story and the imagination that is being stirred up because um, I'm looking for it and listening for it. So, Yes, you are pastoring your people well to encourage them for all those things. That's wonderful. Wonderful, wonderful. There was such a, I guess it's a, a bit of a pun, but there was such a witch hunt out about Harry Potter for a long time in, in Christian circles. I, I was working at a summer camp when one of the books came out and we had this surreptitious copy that we had gift wrapped the cover so the the leaders would not see what we were reading, but we all passed it around like it was some sort of contraband. And oh, the thing yeah. that's so surprising is there are these bright threads of redemption and hope and really these Christian themes. It's not a Christian book by any means, but fantasy can help us, I think, connect with God in ways that, you know, just sit here and and read this Bible verse again and again and again and again may not have the same effect. So yeah, yeah. Well, I worked blessings at a on your Harry Potter reading. Yes. Thank you. I worked <laughs> at a Christian school the year the first book came out. So you can, you can imagine what the thoughts were about that. So <laughs> Yeah, well, and and often the the Christian posture toward the world and toward things that aren't explicitly, you know, quote unquote, our things that came from our people is fear and suspicion rather than curiosity. And curiosity can be such a gift. Curiosity helps you get to know your neighbors, your neighbors of different faiths and different persuasions and different histories and different cultures rather than fear. And that that is something I think the church has a lot of growing to do in. Indeed, indeed. We'll keep fighting the good fight. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jody, where can people find you? Where can they find your beautiful book? Where can they connect with you as a writer? 
Well, thank you. Thank you for asking. I am not on social media, so the best way to connect with me is at my website, which is jodyleecollins.com. That's Jody with a Y, L-E-E, Collins.com. And when people go there, they can enter their email. And I have a free download called Five Things That Might Surprise You About Poetry. This hmm. also, of course, adds them to my subscriber email list. And they can receive monthly news and updates about an upcoming book club. I'll be doing a book club around Mining the Bright Birds and online poetry workshops. I just did my first in-person workshop, Making Friends with Poetry. And I'm thinking about offering those online. So there's also a page on my website that goes straight to my new Substack. I'm writing there currently as well. And will be moving my writing to um, my Substack after January. It's called Poetry and Made Things where I have weekly reflections, sometimes my poem, sometimes a poem from someone else, and people can subscribe there if they'd like. And I love getting email. There's a contact page on my website as well with my email address, and I read and answer everyone. So good old-fashioned email. All right. Well, I will link to those things in the show notes so folks can find you. And before we say goodbye, I just need to share a brief story with our listeners, which is that you have sent me one of my favorite pieces of fan art ever. So you listened to the episode I had with with Daryl, my husband, very, very beginning of the season, our little preview episode. And he's not a birder and he makes fun of bird names. And he mentioned... You know, you're out there looking for a red-breasted Hoosley dude or whatever. And it was this little throwaway line. And share with our listeners what happened next. Well, because I had that, that in my head, I was going through some files, clearing out all my teaching stuff. And I took an art class many, many, many years ago, art for elementary kids. And we had to do this painting of a crazy bird. And I had done a duplicate of this painting. And it was in red watercolor it was this, I don't even know. It looked like something Dr. Seuss might've painted. And I saw it in my files and went, oh my gosh, it's a red-breasted Hoosley dude. I need to mail that to Courtney. So, and it's even signed. It could be worth millions, Courtney. So you now have a red-breasted Hoosley dude. <laughs> that thing is going in a frame, Jody. <laughs> oh, going in a frame. I'm going to share, I will share the photo with our listeners on my social media, but it absolutely made my day. So oh, we, we love fan mail, but I mean, hand-painted fan mail is a, that's a level above. <laughs> well, and I'm so happy to have found a place for it because it languished in my, in my teaching files for many years. So I'm so glad it will bless you. <laughs> it's going to live here. It's going to live here forever. I never knew what a Hoosley Doot looked like. And now I do. There you go. <laughs> Oh, well, Jody Collins, thank you so much. Everyone check out Jody's work, her poetry, her books, Mining the Bright Birds is such a delight. There is hope and whimsy, but also these deeper themes that she's wrestling with about faith and the world. Um, you'll enjoy it. It'll bless you. Um, and you can connect with her online. We'll link to those things in the show notes. Jody, thank you for your time. Oh, Courtney, it's been a delight. It's been so a Yay for Twitter. Even though I'm not there, I'm so glad I met you. So thanks again for having me and t- talk about birds and words. <laughs> the Thing with Feathers is produced by me, Courtney Ellis. Many thanks to Del Belcher for the music, to Todd Peterson for the name inspiration, and to Emily Dickinson for the beautiful poem and for being in the public domain. Until next time, my friends, keep looking up.
Don't tickle your soul. Yes, it does.